Welcome to the San Diego Psychological Association's podcast, Diving Into Healing. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Carcel. This podcast has been developed with the intent to inform and educate the general public and providers and should not be relied upon for any other purpose. The content, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and not those of the San Diego Psychological Association. Today's show is on aging challenges and family dynamics. I'm happy to introduce our guest today, Dr. Wendy Tayer. She's a clinical psychologist in San Diego. Welcome, Dr. Tayer, and thank you for being on the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yes, this is a very significant topic because it affects us all in so many ways. We're all aging, and that is something that we don't think about a lot when we're in our 20s and 30s, but actually maybe a 30s a little bit. But uh, yes, as we get older, things start to change, and it's, it's not a small change in a lot of instances. So I was curious for you, what um, made you interested in the aging population? Well, it's funny because I sort of fell into it. I um, I really didn't know a whole lot about it because, as you know, there's very little training or education about this topic uh, at either at the college or grad school level. And even when you look at continuing education credits, <clears throat> the units for this are meager. There's not a whole lot out there. And it hasn't really changed over the years, which is kind of disappointing. And I'll talk more about that. I was working, you know, I've been working at UCSD. And I was working in the behavioral medicine capacity. At that time, the senior behavioral health program was getting up and running. And they had all these patients who were being discharged from the inpatient unit, and they didn't have any providers to um, refer them to upon discharge for follow-up psychotherapy. And so they just kind of grabbed me and they said, will you do this? (laughs) And I said, okay, yes. And I grew to love it. It became a labor of love for me, and I feel so incredibly blessed and grateful to have had this opportunity because it really has shaped my career in many ways. Oh, that's wonderful. That's great. That's really great. Yeah. You know, when you were talking about that, um, we don't have a lot of training in this in graduate school and that I'm recalling a little bit of my training and and you're right. I I remember, I actually want to preface that uh, you and I have a close connection. I I admire you so much. You were my former supervisor. Um, So I remember us talking about these conversations and I I learned so much from you um, with the, you know, working with the, this population and, and aging in general and that that was really important. And it really has played such a significant part for my practice and as a clinical psychologist. But um, you're right, there are things that we kind of miss when it comes to this. I think I'm hopeful that maybe it's changing. But I guess we can just kind of start, you know, with talking a little bit about this for people who are aging, who are listening to this. What would you say are the most challenging aspects of aging in America today? Well, I would say a lot of it has to do with demographic changes. What's happening in our country is that we're changing demographically in terms of composition, you know, the, the kind of the expansion of our minority populations, you know, the BIPOC population just emigrating more readily and uh, people just growing older, the baby boomers aging, and people are living longer. People are, you know, living into their 80s now. And we're seeing um, much more mm-hmm. dementia and all kinds of aging-related illnesses that are emerging that we weren't seeing before necessarily when people died earlier. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems is that we don't have enough 
providers to meet the needs of this burgeoning population. That, <laughs> it's a huge problem. And there just are not enough of them. And the other problem is, is ageism, is that this is not a society that supports aging per se. And we, we don't educate people about aging. We don't really mm-hmm. talk a whole lot about it. Mm-hmm. People are woefully mm-hmm. unprepared for what they may be facing, both health-wise in terms of cognition, in terms of caregiving, and expectations. Mm-hmm. We are a society that is uh, really um, focused solely on youth and anti-aging. A lot of it is media-driven, and it gets into the vernacular and our value system has largely been shaped by many of these processes. Mm-hmm. So it makes aging extraordinarily challenging mm-hmm. in this culture. I'm so glad you brought up the media because I think that that's something also that's important that there is, uh, you're right, this is, as I'm thinking about it, as you're, you're saying it, we're so focused on anti-aging, we're so focused on attempting to preserve our youth. And yet the reality is no one can do that to the extent that we can do it. What, what I mean by that is, of course, there are ways to cosmetically look a certain way or to perhaps do certain things. And, and while there are health benefits to eating better and doing things that are, are specific to our health, which I think is very important, the overall societal perspective does seem to be more in staying young when that's not real. That's not a, a real thing. You know, we, we have to age. It, it's counter to the most um, basic elements of our being here, which are aging and the passage of time. And to ignore that and to really kind of bypass it and and almost discard our seniors, the whole aging process um, is a disservice really to our entire populace. And just the paucity of providers to serve this population is representative of how we regard our seniors. And it's, it's a problem. It, it is. It absolutely is. And and for anybody listening that is a caregiver, I think I'd, I'd like to ask you about this and we can kind of segue, but mm-hmm. for families and for caregivers who are struggling to help their senior parents, their senior grandparents, their loved ones, what challenges are they facing and what resources or support can they receive given the limitations? That's a challenge too. And this is also a fear that a lot of seniors grapple with is what happens if I have to caregive if something happens to my spouse? And again, woefully (laughs) unsupported. Uh, We don't talk about this aspect of aging either. And we don't have a lot of resources in place for families, unless you have a lot of money. And then you can hire people, you can, you, you can invest in, in, in long-term care, you can, there are things you can do. But for a lot of the population, this is a, a huge barrier. It really um, perpetuates the this, this cycle of, of poverty and, and illness um, because caregivers often fall into this job. They don't usually ask for it unless they're going to do it as a profession and family members give up relationships careers educational opportunities livelihoods Mm -hmm. all sorts of things in order to care give for parents 
kids, spouses, you name it. And there's a lot of loss associated with that. Uh, in terms of support for this population, there's, mm-hmm. there are some agencies out there that can support caregivers. There's um, a lot of uh, agencies associated with different groups. Uh, one of my favorite ones in the San Diego area is the Southern Caregiver Resource Center in Kearney Mesa. They've been there for many, many years, and they are a great resource for caregivers because caregivers oftentimes are left the ones left holding the bag. And the research actually shows that, ironically, their health is oftentimes worse than the person they're caring for. And that is because all of their attention is on the person who needs the caregiving. And oftentimes they ignore their own signs and symptoms and then don't get the care that they need. And you can see how this just spirals and plays out uh, and creates a lot of familial tension a lot of resentments, all kinds, all kinds of uh, problems in families. So it's um, it's a struggle. It's a real struggle, and we don't have any really good solutions as a culture for this problem. I think collective cultures do a whole lot better with these kinds of necessary familial sort of duties, and you can see that too if you look at the research that there are certain groups that that do better. I think the, the Latino cultures actually um, have this much more nailed down <laughs> than a lot of other groups. They tend to um, very much jump in and caregive for one another almost with, you know, without asking. So, but there, you know, it, it's a, I think a double-edged sword in many, many respects. This population needs backup and they need respite time, which they don't often get. I will just add that. I I completely agree. Uh, Thinking back, I read a statistic. I actually uh, wrote it down because, you know, when we think about the population aging, you brought up a great point. You know, we're we're not only aging, we're aging longer. We're living longer. Um, And Mm -hmm. uh, the statistic that pretty pretty much surprised me. I didn't realize that this was the case, but that there's, you know, approximately 46 million older adults that are age 65 and older living in the U.S. right now. And the statistic is that by 2050, that number is expected to double and be at almost 90 million people. Right. That is a huge chunk of the population. So what we're discussing today is pertinent to everyone. Oh, yes. Absolutely everyone. So anyone who's listening, this is this is for everyone. And I think it's important that we specify um, you know, the significance of not only a person who is in the position of becoming a senior or is a senior or who's having the emotional and physical struggles that come with this, but also the caregiving piece, people who are caregivers and the struggles and the burden that's on this. Uh, My hope is that given these statistics that we will actually see a little bit more contribution to the well-being of people um, in the aging society and the caregivers and families. But it is quite interesting, given that we're seeing this, that there hasn't been a paradigm shift or a change um, in that way. But uh, I'm just, I'm just glad we're talking about it here because the more education, the better, right? Uh, I think that's really important. Absolutely. You also brought up, 
Yeah. yeah. You also brought up collectivistic versus individualistic cultures. And thank you for bringing up Latinx and, and you know, referring to mm-hmm. that's my culture. Yeah, so I'm I very know. proud. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but but it is very hard also for, you know, um, especially here in the United States, because unlike other countries that value aging, it the, the resources as we were talking about they're still limited here so even somebody from who's acculturated or is assimilating into the culture in the United States who still has that collectivistic background you still need resources and and we're still trying to to find mastery in that but i definitely think people who are aware and you know care for their elders and and know that that's part of the that's just part of something that we, you know, you grow up with. Um, it's not as foreign. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, yeah, I can certainly understand that, but, um, you know, I, I think as we're talking about all of this too, and, and mentioning, um, when it comes to the people that you see as a psychologist, I, I wonder what comes up the most for, the seniors and the uh, you know older adults that you talk to as their biggest concerns. Oh, it's such a range. Um, a lot of it has to do with aging and talking about their morbidity and mortality. I mean, this is a segment of the population that are further down the continuum than everyone else, and so they're thinking about how is this going to happen for me. What about my health? Who is going to take care of me? Will I have enough money? Where should I live? Is Am I able to live on my own any longer? Because things are changing for me in terms of my chronic pain, my ability to do things for myself, my ability to drive, to get around, all, all these issues, all these concerns. And when is the right time to move? Should I? The pros and cons. Those kinds of concerns, people come in, they're talking about their relationships with their adult children, their grandchildren. Uh, oftentimes, they're coming and talking about their their marriages, having a very difficult time managing their marriage. After, with the pandemic, people were at home with their spouses when they've been used to going out and about, doing their day, and, and then coming home. And, and all of a sudden, they had to spend their entire day at home with their spouses and they're looking at each other and saying, I'm not used to this. (laughs) I don't have my respite time and I need that. Mm -hmm. And there's been so much talk about this. Uh, I will also say that loneliness is probably one of the biggest problems with our seniors today. It was actually at epidemic levels before the pandemic. And then the pandemic was just a double whammy, mm-hmm. and we saw all kinds of uh, superimposed problems because of that. Things got doubled down for people, and a whole range of, of concerns and problems, and people's mental health worsened, mm-hmm. uh, which was very problematic. So these are just some of the most common themes, but there's a whole range of issues that people come in for. Uh, a lot often I will say another huge theme is grief, grief and loss. As we age, of course, we see more death and all kinds of losses of just physical functioning, uh, losses in terms of your senses. You've got vision loss and you've got some hearing loss. Mm-hmm. And then people 
are deathly afraid of memory loss. That's a huge one. People come in thinking, I, I forgot where I left my keys. Does it mean I'm getting Alzheimer's? And I get that question all the time, all the time. So I do a lot of psychoeducation <laughs> about what is normal, uh, what's to be expected, mm-hmm. and how to manage these kinds of worries, concerns, and, and also about excuse me, healthy aging. What can we do to help our brains stay pliable and flexible um, and um, really energized and, and continuing to grow? Mm-hmm. So right. It's a lot of stuff. Yeah. You know, the one thing that when you were talking um, and you're bringing up grief, I I can't help but wonder, I think just as from a societal perspective, uh, I thought of Dr. Kubler-Ross and the stages of grief, right? Um, And denial. Yeah. I think denial is a big part from a cultural and societal westernized um, ideology. We just... I think we deny Mm -hmm. a lot of these factors versus a lot of other uh, cultures that embrace it and talk about it and have the discussions and are real about it, which I think changes the narrative so much. Um, There's a couple of statistics that came up too that I was looking at uh, with the CDC. It actually surprised me a little bit where uh, depression wasn't actually a high ranking in older adults, I thought it would be a little bit higher. But then I saw the caveat on that, Mm -hmm. which was it's lower when you're a healthier older adult. Right. And you have resources. Um, Of course, once that we see the difference between the seniors who do not have resources to the extent that others do and that have uh, health concerns, um, then the depression, of course, goes higher. And it, it, that makes complete logical sense, right? Uh, same for anxiety. So we see that for right, both exactly, of those. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's makes sense, right? Because there's a lot of concern about losing my independence, my function, my ability to to drive, to feed myself, to change all about the people's activities of daily living that they do for themselves. And there's so much talk and so much loss. And wanting to hang on to those things that help keep us autonomous. Mm-hmm. So I talk about these issues all the time with people, and and they're they're very important touch points. Um, but I will also say, um, the flip side of this is that when, as we get into our retirement years, oftentimes those are the most um, pleasurable and content years of people's lives. If you look at the happiness literature, that's what we see. And that's something I don't think a lot of younger people know either, but we should be telling them because it's something to look forward to. Because as we get older, oftentimes our life goals are met. We've had our careers, we've had our kids, we've had our, our we found our love lives, <laughs> our partners. And we've met a lot of our goals and we can just kind of, coast and, and relax and okay I can just enjoy my grandchildren now and I can enjoy just doing what I want to do with my time so um, I but I will also say these are not the people that necessarily come in to see me <laughs> right so <laughs> um, but but it is I think it's good to know that I think it is just heartening to to know that and it's a, a it is a goal that I can share with my patients 
sort of like, hey, look at this list literature and the statistic, and how can we help you be happier in feeling more grateful during these these years when you do have these challenges? But but it, there's also a yin and yang, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. complicated. Let's just say that. Yes, right, and that's a great point. There, I think, like I said earlier, denial of the things that we associate with aging. But we have to change this narrative because you're absolutely right. I was thinking uh, as you were saying the statistics about in the research on happiness that it's usually uh, people who are married with children who tend to struggle. And of course, that makes sense too, because their jobs, the, the children, you know, it's, it's a lot of responsibilities. So we see that there's a lull in happiness and life satisfaction in that period of time. Right. But then once you reach a certain age, you have your adult children, your career, you're retiring, your career has been established. Um, there is a joy, there is a happiness in this, and that's very important. And this is where that psychoeducation is so mm-hmm. important in general. Um, so yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because um, I, I think it's important too that we talk about ageism and the impact that ageism has on our society. And I'm curious your thoughts on this um, because we do have an obsession with youth and anti-aging as we talked about a little bit earlier, but how does this affect people who are coming to talk to you about their aging and their concerns? It does affect them. It affects them in their daily lives when they're out and about. And I will say that there are positive and negative consequence effects that, you know, sometimes people help them out in the community or would let them go first and be very kind to them. But then other times they feel marginalized and discarded. Oftentimes they have trouble finding jobs. You're a single female living alone and you're aging. It is not an easy task if you have to supplement your income amidst having you know declines from health problems and some chronic pain mm-hmm. so there are those kinds of challenges trying to get a job and competing with younger people not only for paying jobs but for volunteer jobs is a tall order and I think they also find when they go just different places they're just treated differently they may be thought of as cute or funny, made fun of. And and sometimes people will, my seniors, someone said to me today, you know, when I watch TV and commercials and everything else, seniors are always kind of ridiculed and seen as cute and they're infantilized. He said, and I don't appreciate that. because <laughs> I feel like I'm, I've developed some sage wisdom and mm-hmm. I, I can connect with people of all ages and go out there and I love to have my relationships with my first graders in my volunteer classroom. These kinds of effects are both, I think they're subtle and then they're, they also can be quite apparent, very, very obvious. Mm-hmm. So the, the people who experience it and it's, they, t- they really take it to heart. And I think it's, it's quite painful. And I will say a lot of this comes up within families. And I see a lot of seniors coming in whose children uh, don't pay enough attention to them, don't really revere or listen to them, and don't forge relationships or call them or, or have their grandkids develop relationships with uh, my patients. And it's it's hugely painful. So I think there's also a great lack of understanding out in the public about what it means to age after 65 and what it is like 
No one tells you this stuff. Nobody tells you. There's not a lot of data out there and information. We're not out there educating the masses about about these things. And people mm-hmm. tell me this. They say, I don't know what to do. I don't even know where to start looking for caregiving, for resources to find XYZ for housing or a case manager, whatever they might need. And it becomes this job. It's a whole, it's an entire job just to figure out how to manage all of these issues. Mm -hmm. It is, it's, it's a huge job. Unlike other parts of our society where things are readily available or announced, this is one thing that's not in that category. And usually, unfortunately, the time that a lot of people get more familiar with these resources is when something's occurred, meaning that they've had an injury or something that requires hospitalization. So they do receive a case manager or talk to a social worker, um, which I think is important that we talk also about these types of resources where you can reach out, but it it doesn't have to be that it's a dire situation um, because there are people out there. I'm glad that you identified uh, the group here in San Diego. And, um, you know, there are national resources and there are uh, ways to get information online. Fortunately, I think, fortunately and unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation on the internet. We know Dr. Internet does not always share all the the best information. (laughs) Um, But on the flip side, uh, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There is also a lot of good, uh, very useful data um, anything from resources on Alzheimer's to, you know, resources in local areas, uh, providing for, you know, food and, it, you know, VA, the Veterans uh, uh, Administration, there's things for people who are veterans. So uh, there, are, there are things out there. It's just, unfortunately, because we don't talk about it, it's hard to find. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, it's good for us to continue to um, promote this and, and have those resources yeah. uh, readily available for people. Sure. And I, I wanted to just make sure that I mentioned that the UT, which is the local paper union tribune publishes an elder care directory annually that I think anyone can order just by contacting the UT or I think searching on the internet for it. And it is an incredible resource for anyone who needs any of these services, whether they be transportation for seniors, housing, uh, legal matters, caregiving, financial, it, co- it really covers the gamut of the services, and housing, all these things in the county. And it's a wonderful resource that I share with people all the time because I think that families need to know uh, that this exists and that they can access it. And providers also that, you know, to look, let, let me just, and I use it, I use it every week. <laughs> I'm, people are asking me about housing mm-hmm. and where should I go? What are I, you know, what's available? They don't even know where to begin to look and what's reputable, right? Because the internet, right. you don't know necessarily what you're getting. So I, I think that's a really helpful resource. I just want to make sure. To that's great. And that's here in San Diego, the San Diego Union Tribune. Is that what you're referring to? Just to clarify? Right. Yeah. It's their publication, the Elder Care Directory. Right. Perfect. Every Perfect. Year. Oh, that's a great resource. Yeah, we'll make sure to um, put a link 
uh, to this, uh, to the podcast here for, for that information. And, um, maybe if you have uh, any additional resources you'd like to reference, we'll go ahead and include those for anyone listening. Because again, since this is difficult to find just, uh, on our own, uh, it helps since you have the knowledge and and thank goodness, uh, it's much appreciated because, uh, again, we all are facing this, you know, we can't run away from it. This is a reality. We are all aging. Um, and I, think now that we're talking about it, it just kind of struck me as, as I was saying that. Um, what about for people who are entering kind of that middle age space where it's like, oh, wow, I'm starting to age. My parents are getting older. They have maybe that they're starting to get into the caregiving, but they're also recognizing their uh, aging process. You know, look at 40s, 50s, that age range, mm-hmm. middle age. Um, what advice or, or anything that you think would be helpful for us to talk about with that particular age range? It really depends on what is going on in people's lives. And when you're talking about that age group, there are lots of biological changes that people are going through. Women are going through menopause, which is, well, it runs the whole gamut in terms of people's experiences of menopause. But it's sort of the first inkling that, oh, I'm really getting older and things are changing because it's it's a radical shift in what goes on with your body. So for women, I think it's very pointed and you start to think, okay, I have to really pay attention to my health. Maybe if I mm-hmm. never had to before, I really have to now and I have to get on top of certain things and pay attention and go for my annual exams. I think it's a wake up call. I think what because your sleep patterns change your body temperature patterns change, um, the way things are regulated, your metabolism shifts, and we have to make adaptations to all those changes. For men, it's a different kind of process, but they experience a reduction in, in testosterone levels, and then men can start to experience prostate problems. So, and men, we know, you know, generally speaking, and the, the data bear this out, are not as attentive to their signs and symptoms. So we know that married men are generally in better health and live longer because women tend to urge them to say, hey, I don't like the way that looks. Go call the doctor, go to the doctor, (laughs) go get that checked out. Whereas men living single alone oftentimes are not in as good health. And I I see this anecdotally and we also see this, you know, in in the research. (laughs) So that it, 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 those middle years are a harbinger of things to come in some ways. And those, those are times when very, very active people can also become more prone to injury. Say if, um, when you, you know, were able to throw your body around when you played soccer or softball or cross, whatever it is, or surfing, and all of a sudden your body doesn't bounce back the way it used to. Mm-hmm. You're more likely to get injured. And we also know that things happen to people's spines as we get older. Most people have a herniated disc. It's just whether or not they feel it, whether <laughs> it affects your, your nerve endings back there. So uh, that I see a lot of too, is people trying to figure out how to age gracefully amidst these injuries and which can accelerate the aging process. So I think there, there's a lot of things to get used to. I, th- I think that point in time also, most people's kids are growing up and leaving the nest and leaving the home. And I don't really love the term empty nest. I like to call it free birds because, you know, we're, our lives aren't empty. Uh, but you also have to <laughs> make that adaptation 
to all of a sudden I'm not driving the carpool anymore and uh, waiting for my kids to come home late at night. <laughs> and I love that. Things. And, and for women who didn't have a career, sort of, what do I do now? How do I fill my time? How do I remain purposeful? And I think that's a, a task that we see people struggling with as they reach the peaks of their careers and then figuring out when to retire, when am I aging out? You know, what does it look like moving ahead in terms of moving up the ladder or what I want to do with my time now in terms of working and leisure time and just finding that sweet spot, that balance. So it's a lot of these just life transitions, a continuing evolving process. So I hope I answered your question. <laughs> yes, definitely did. Yes, thank you. I always find again, uh, more idiosyncratic to me, more personal to me. And in my practice, I always find it interesting to have the discussions about self-care and doing the medical checkups and, you know, making sure that we're cognizant of those things to the younger population. Mm -hmm. um, someone who's in their 20s, I, I love asking the question, when was your last physical? Now, ironically enough, I think maybe San Diego, because it's a very active lifestyle here, um, I have had a lot of positive responses in that, oh, yeah, no, I've gotten my physical this year. And this is, you know, of course, nothing remarkable came up. Um, but it's, I do also get the blank stares of, oh, yeah, I don't need to worry about that. Mm -hmm. Like in even 30s and even 40s where it's like, no, I don't need to worry about that. And I think it's I, you brought up a good point. Just doing preventative care, preventative medicine being a wonderful way to take care of ourselves and making sure that we're doing the best we can. And, you know, of course, everything in moderation, have fun, enjoy life, but recognizing that we can't stay in denial that we need to recognize that not only are we aging, but the people we love are aging and that let's make the best of it. Let's find what we need in order to make these transitions as effective and as healthy as possible, uh, which is why I'm so happy to be talking to you about this because I think when we think of aging, people get very, I don't know if I want to say the word depressed, but um, turned off by it, uh, avoidant. Right, we've got these. We've got these negative connotations associated with it, which is a problem because when when you age, you also develop some wonderful attributes, like this um, in, incredible ability to problem solve really well and to be able to figure out what's important and what's not important. And and you learn that I have less time ahead of me than behind me, and what am I going to do with it? And what does that mean for how I want to utilize that time? And you begin to think about it and see it differently and think, I don't want to have that relationship anymore, or I am done working. I'm just time to out and I, I, I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. It's, it's all of these kinds of decisions. And the other thing is, is the wisdom piece. I don't know if you know about um, Dilip Jesty's work, but he's also, you know, he's a psychiatrist, CSD, who runs our aging institute. And he's done a lot of work on mm -hmm. just the, the idea of wisdom and what it is in the end of developing this wonderful attribute, which is revered in a lot of other cultures. You look at the Asian cultures and I think Native Americans, they have, you know, their, their wise elders who they look up to and they ask them for their advice, their input. And I just don't see that happening here on a wide scale. I think it happens maybe in microcosms, 
in certain settings, but not universally. And that's an area that I would, where I would love to see a shift and where I think we could make some inroads to, to let younger people know this is what you have to look forward to. And it's a nice resting place to have this knowledge and experience that, mm-hmm. that you can really utilize and, and feel okay about certain decisions and not regretting them anymore and saying, you know, what, I'm good with this. <laughs> I, and I can just sit with it and just be, and it's okay. And that's a really comfortable, nice thing. Completely agree. There's something very, I, I'm thinking just natural, of course. It's it's a natural progression. It's something we see there's in nature in all aspects from everything from a, a, an ant all the way to a tree. You know, we see these these life cycles, some longer than others. And this is just the reality. And acceptance of that can make it so much easier. And while I say that, I want to be realistic. Of course, watching someone we love age and you know go through these processes and sometimes suffer, um, there's nothing that's easy about that. There's nothing that you know can prepare us really for that experience. As much as people tell us, as much as people give us awareness, but we can find solace. We can use this perspective as a way to ease the pain. And it's important that we recognize that, you know, it's a, it's a double sided coin and it's not, uh, as burdening in the sense of that aspect, uh, as, as we perceive while there are huge burdens in caregiving, there are huge burdens in aging. Of course there are. Um, there's also the reality of that acceptance of garnering the time and and making the most of the memories we have and really taking the perspectives of that acceptance and moving forward. I, I just think that's so significant. Mm-hmm. Sort of, I, I try to say, look, I wake up and I say, hey, I got another day. What am I going to do with it? <laughs> and we have a choice about that. Aging is, it's, it's a complex, <laughs> varied experience very individual. And I will also say that we all have to persevere through death and grief and loss. You don't really, no one goes unscathed. We don't get through this life without those things. And people struggle a lot with persevering and and getting through those experiences because we are a, a world of instant gratification and you're supposed to do things quickly and get through it quickly, but those things don't happen quickly. So we have to give ourselves time to move through the grief and just let it process. And so I, I have to educate people about this quite often because oftentimes people are pushed to, aren't you done yet? Are you done grieving? You know, aren't, aren't you back to life yet? <laughs> and it's very difficult to be on the receiving end of that, that attitude. Um, and I, I will also say that when we do give ourselves time to process, move through it and, sort of get to a resting place with it, we can also learn that the time is precious and we can live our lives in almost a, a better, you know, sort of more thoughtful and deliberate way with gratitude and kindness and just appreciating the small things, the little things every day. And so I, I'm all about the the healthy aging, um, you know, fostering 
little moments of gratitude, even if you're in chronic pain, Mm -hmm. you can find those little moments that when you just kind of feel okay and to be right there with with that. So that's a, a lot of the way that I focus with these issues including grief and loss. Right. And I want to add, I think that was beautifully said, and I'm so um, appreciative of the perspective that you're, you take because it's, it really is true. Having gratitude, and we see this in the research as well, gratitude is something that really changes our dynamic no matter what situation we're in, no matter what um, you know, uh, age range, circumstantial, whatever it is. Uh, we are able to take just to step back and say, okay, what is working? What is functioning? What is going well? And that can shift. But, you know, one thing that came to mind is because I, I want to, again, be very realistic. There are hard days and there are moments, especially with an aging population, and there are days that we fall apart. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think that it's so important that people do that that you have your moment. And I like to put it in perspective of uh, IFS, so internal family systems. I just like that model uh, for this is, is that there might be a part of you one day that's just taken over and it's a really sad part. It's a part of you that's really sad and that's grieving and that's going through this process, especially if you're a caregiver and you're watching someone you love age and go through a hard time and you're you're having to participate in that and, and see things that you'd never seen, especially if it's a parent or, you know, a grandparent, mm-hmm. that's, that's really hard and that that's okay to be in that space and to make sure that another part of you that feels gratitude can help at a later time. I know that speaking in parts, it's, it's a little uh, interesting for people, but um, I do like using that model because I feel like uh, when it comes to this, it's, it vacillates you know, it vacillates, especially when someone's at end of life mm-hmm. and we're, yeah, we're going through the end of life process. Um, you know, there, there are good days and bad days and that's totally normal. And, and I'm just going to make the suggestion, of course, both of you, you and I are, are uh, psychologists, you know, please talk to, to talk to us, talk to someone, um, in the mental health field because yes. we can help with this. You know, there's different, again, you, I think, Wendy, you have great resources and those resources are so needed. And someone who's older might be a little reluctant because that's not in the wheelhouse. That's not, mental health is just now finally, you know, with the research and the theory and all the interventions that we've had over the past several decades, they're really coming to the forefront. So people now, younger generations don't have a problem with therapy the way older generations do. But I think it's important that we talk about you know, please come talk to someone if you're feeling depressed and you can't get out of it. Please, you know, talk to us if you're feeling anxious because there are ways to help. Do you agree with that? Most definitely. Most definitely. And and I'm always heartened when I have a senior come in and I, this happens very often who said, I never would have done this if my wife hadn't died and I hadn't been so sorrowful. I never would have sought this out. And they're having trouble managing their thoughts. And I said, I can help you with that. Let's work on this. And some of them are the, the most receptive <laughs> um, people that who come in and they, there's so much we can do. And we have to remember that the brain is neuroplastic as long as we're alive. We can, <laughs> uh, multiple, our brain cells multiply and we can learn new things. And our brain likes novelty. It likes learning new things. 
one of them are our approaches to psychotherapy. And there's there's so much that we have to offer in terms of um, coping adaptively and learning to to manage our feeling states that feel so uncomfortable, so aversive, so overwhelming that we have a lot to share. So I, I think that the work is very gratifying, uh, especially when someone truly tells you how much it helped them just to come to a psychotherapy group. I, I do have a group for caregivers and, and I have to say it's been the most challenging group I've run <laughs> because I always say that, you know, the, the aspects of your life and that will bring you here are the same ones that will keep you away, you know, your health and your caregiving duties. Uh, so right now we're kind of collapsed. Um, it hasn't you know, been able to keep it going and it's been a challenge. So, yeah, but yes, absolutely. There are mul multitude of ways that we can help people um, get through these difficult times and learn how to live their lives in a, a more rewarding and enriched way. Oh, well, thank you so much. Uh, I, I, I was going to say Wendy, because I know you as Wendy, but I want to refer to you as Dr. Tayer because, <laughs> um, and use your, or your professional uh, title, because uh, your expertise is really so invaluable here. And it's, it's really just, I'm excited that we talked about this. I, I, I know, again, just kind of the topic for a lot of people can be a bit somber, but in reality, it, it doesn't have to be that way in, in whatever state that we're in that we can process this, we can work on this. And uh, there are experts like yourself that are out there that are more than willing to help. And we'll be sure to include um, some of the uh, resources. Uh, we'll try to include those resources in the uh, podcast um, uh, intro. So that way people can uh, take a look. And if they have any questions or anything like that, uh, we'll most certainly make sure that we try to answer those uh, as thoroughly as possible. But I just want to thank you so much for being on the show. Is there anything additional you'd like to add before we wrap up? Uh, no, Dr. Carcel. I think I just say that it's been a pleasure. Um, like I said, this is a labor of love for me. And I just want to say that I never could have dreamed that working with this population would be so rewarding and gratifying for me because we're working with populations who are underserved. You just, they thank you every day. They thank you every day and for because they know what it's like to be disregarded. So to spend time in the room with them or even on video with them is, is a tremendously valuable experience. So I'll just say for anyone out there who um, is looking for a career, <laughs> um, try working with seniors because um, every day you'll, you'll just go home feeling like you, you touch someone's life and it's, um, it fills you up, I'll just say that. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being on the show. I completely agree with your last statement. I feel the same way. So thank you again. And we look forward to hopefully having you back. Oh, I'd love to. Wonderful. I'd love to. Thank you. Thanks, Michelle. The information and advice offered is not intended to treat or diagnose and is not meant to replace any other professional consultation. If you'd like to know more about the San Diego Psychological Association, go to our website at sdpsych.org. That's sdpsych.org. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
Until next time, take care of yourself and be well.